Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. Joining me today to continue our discussion on power skills is Dr. Corinna DeBrain, a registered counseling psychologist with more than 25 years of experience in education, higher education, and corporate learning and development. Today, we will be speaking about resilience and exploring exactly why this has become such an important skill. Welcome, Corinna. Hi, Karen. Thank you for, for having me again today. Fantastic. Now, Corinna, the standard definition for resilience, or at least in layman's terms, it's defined as that ability to get back up after life has knocked you down. Now, I know that collectively the pandemic has really been a period in which life has knocked all of us down in various ways, but surely developing resilience has always been a power skill. And also, why so suddenly has it now become this buzzword? Is it just because of the pandemic and something that everybody's experienced almost at the same time? Or is there something deeper underlying this in terms of why it is such a key skill that is every industry, every leadership course, every leadership competency framework is calling for resilience? Indeed, Karen. I mean, the need for being resilient, be resilient, has been out there for as long as anyone can think back. And I'm not only referring to resilience in people, but also resilience in animals and nature. Certain conditions just require a lot of resilience. It's not only situations where you've been knocked down by life completely that require resilience. So yes, resilience does relate strongly to the ability to recover from setbacks, but it also refers to the ability to successfully adapt to change and difficult or challenging life experiences and to keep going when you are facing difficult circumstances. And the interesting thing is resilience does not only relate to negative experiences, having a baby and looking after it, or traveling in a foreign country where you don't understand the language, or getting promoted into a leadership position with its own challenges. All of those things are actually positive experiences, but you still need a, a whole lot of resilience. So your question is, why is there a new focus on resilience? And we all know that the so-called new world of work looks completely different to what it used to be. Buka, the, the, the term Buka, you know, sums it up. It's it's volatile, it's uncertain, it's fast-paced. The pandemic, of course, has just fast-tracked the need for skills to adapt to these changing situations. And in the last two years, we really saw the impact of these changes and the challenges on the physical and the emotional well-being of people. And more and more organizations has recognized the importance of the impact of employee wellness on business performance. And they also realize that employee unwellness, if there's such a term, is, is very costly. And organizations realize that people are the most important assets. So they have to make sure that their employees are also well. 
And there's a lot of scholarly research that's focusing on the relationship of well-being and resilience and performance. We've seen that in, from the research that workers with high resilience have better outcomes in difficult work environments. They experience a high level of job satisfaction, a high level of job engagement. So resilient workers are really more satisfied and engaged at work and they perform better at work. And if we think about leaders, the true grit of a leader is not how they perform during the good times, but rather how they display emotional strength and courage during difficult times as well. And we know that resilient leaders have the ability to sustain their energy level under pressure, to cope with disruptive changes. And if we just think about the last two years, there were periods of high turnover, organizational restructuring. And so yes, extremely important that we also build resilience in leaders or that we recognize the importance of resilience in leaders. Fantastic, thank you. I think that sums it up. I love the part where you just made it very clear that resilience is not only something that we need when we're experiencing something that we would term as negative, but that it is also we go through as much stress when positive things happen in our life. And I think that's often something that people tend to ignore or lack understanding of. And it's almost change is change. And we need skills to deal with change. And resilience is one of those core skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some of the factors that actually affect resilience? Karen, there's a number of factors that contribute to how well people adapt to adversities. And when we talk about resilience specifically, I think it's important to have a multidimensional or maybe even a systemic view of it. So if you think in terms of maybe if you can have a, a picture where you see the individual in a circle and around the individual there's an interpersonal or a social level and around that there's an organizational level. So on an individual level, we know that personal factors such as personality, self-awareness, the way in which individuals view and engage with the world, so sort of their mental or their thinking processes, their flexibility, their openness to learning, their coping strategies that relate a lot to behaviors, of course, their physical health, their emotional health and well-being. So on an individual level, there's a whole lot of factors that impact resilience. And then we also know that on an interpersonal or a social level, which is a bit further removed from the individual level, the availability and the quality of social resources and support is extremely important in terms of resilience. And then on an organizational level, there needs to be structures that are in place to mitigate the impact of the stressful environment. So it's really a whole lot of different factors that, that impact resilience. Fantastic. Now, one of the key questions that I always have is, how would somebody know what level of resilience they have? How do we know when we're being resilient versus having low resilience or better yet, you know, some of us, are we confusing denial or avoidance with resilience? Yeah, so 
from a research perspective or a maybe even a more academic perspective or a therapeutic perspective, there's a number of resilience scales that have been published. And usually they focus on the typical behaviors and the skills that are associated with resilience. And these would include things like, can someone keep calm when they are under stress? Do they have empathy? Do they have self-control? Are they motivated? Are they optimistic? Are they flexible? Do they have a sense of humor and, and all of that? But those scales also very often are self-report scales. So you need to have quite a high level of self-awareness to reflect on your own personal characteristics and behaviors. So that is the formal way of assessing resilience. You can actually approach someone, a professional, and ask them to assist you to complete one of these measures. But in a more informal way, I think it's important that we need to listen to ourselves. We need to listen to our bodies, to our thinking, to our emotions, and listen to what they tell us. We need to look at how do we function in the workplace. I mean, we all have our ups and downs, and sometimes even on a daily basis. But if you realize that you are anxious all the time and you are depressed all the time and that you are experiencing burnout, then it means it's maybe something that you need to pay attention to. So firstly, listen to yourself and your body. And I think also very important is to listen to feedback from other people. Our family and our friends and our colleagues very often see that our emotional well-being is problematic before we actually realize it ourselves. So be open for feedback and act on that as well, specifically if you continuously get the same. With regards to denial and avoidance, maybe denial and avoidance are sometimes not all that bad. Sometimes they are great defense mechanisms that help us cope with difficult situations. But we know that continuous denial and avoidance are definitely not sustainable and not effective coping mechanisms in the long run. So again, if you are telling yourself you're coping well, but your health, your relationships, your work performance suffer, then maybe you are not coping so well after all. And you need to look at that. Well, I love that because I think sometimes in the moment when you don't have those reserves, you need to practice a little bit of, of denial or avoid you know, your stresses or your triggers. And I think that gives a lot of people hope that if it's a short-term quick fix method just to get you over that hump, it's not necessarily a negative thing, you know, you're not going to set your up, yourself up for a lifelong struggle with mental well-being. Yeah. But absolutely, that point of realizing that it is in the moment, it's an emergency situation, but something that needs to be looked at when you have those reserves. But something else you touched on, which was very interesting, in terms of our emotions. Now, typically, some people are more optimistic or more pessimistic. How does this relate to resilience? Our view of the world, if we are largely pessimistic, does that tend to affect our ability to be resilient, certainly in the face of negative events, etc., versus people with a very high level of optimism? Do we tend to stay in situations we probably shouldn't because we're always looking on that bright side or waiting for tomorrow when things will be better? Yeah, Karen, optimism and pessimism are very much related to personality as well, like you say, but we also know it's a skill that can be learned. So lots of research, specifically in the field of positive psychology, has demonstrated that optimism contributes to resilience and it is key to how we adapt to stressful situations. 
What optimism does is to reduce the sense of helplessness and hopelessness that people often experience in difficult situations. Optimism also helps to motivate people to take constructive action and be in control of things. It helps to know that the difficult situation is not permanent, that one day we will get out of this. It helps us to make a plan to solve a problem and also to ask for help when we need it. So optimism has a lot of benefits, you know. People who are more optimistic are more happy. More positive emotions relate to better relationships. Optimists have more positive mood. They have a sense of mastery and a high sense of self-regard, which is often key also in being resilient. Fewer negative emotions, better health. Lots of benefits related to optimism. But what's quite interesting, the research has also shown that there's a reciprocal relationship between optimism and resilience. So optimism leads to resilience, but then resilience also results in more optimism. So they are really the left hand and the right hand of resilience. That's fantastic. And you mentioned, obviously, optimism and pessimism are our personality traits. So what are the other personality traits that are positively correlated with resilience? And which are the ones that are perhaps more negatively correlated? I think it's important to differentiate between personality traits or characteristics and behavioral characteristics. So personality, we know, is more stable over time and situations, whereas behavioral characteristics relate more to skills that can be learned and developed. So very often we confuse these these two types of characteristics as well. But with regards to personality characteristics, um, resilience has really become increasingly popular in studies that look at individual differences in response to stressful events. And there's more of 100 years of research that led to a framework of how do we view personality? And maybe you've heard about the big five. Now in Africa, we have the big five, but in in the Kruger (laughs) National Park, but we also have the big five personality traits framework. An easy acronym to, to remember those is OCEAN. So it's openness to experientiousness, version, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So they represent the major dimensions of personality. Of course, within that, there's a whole lot of smaller dimensions. And all the four of the five, which is extroversion, conscientiousness, agreeableness, and openness, are positively associated with subjective well-being and then, of course, resilience, while neuroticism, or we can also call it emotional instability, is typically the highest, shows the highest correlation with negative indicators of of psychological functioning. So emotional stability would, would refer to things like being calm, being relaxed, being stable, So you can imagine that if someone is more angry or tense or nervous or unstable, that has a negative impact on resilience or there's a negative relationship with that. Whereas the other four factors like openness to experience, for example, would refer to things like being inquisitive or perceptive, extroversion, engaging with other people, being energetic and enthusiastic. So those characteristics are related to a high level of resilience. And then agreeableness would refer to things like being unselfish, warm, cooperative, polite. 
and conscientiousness refers to being organized and responsible and reliable and sometimes also practical. So it's maybe a very academic answer just to demonstrate that there are really a lot of personality traits related to resilience and some that have a negative impact on that. And the nice thing is if you have that awareness of your personality strengths and maybe development areas, then at least you can deal with it and you can Maybe you can't change your personality, but you can learn certain skills and behaviors to mitigate the negative impact of your personality on your level of resilience. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I think one of the things that I'm enjoying seeing coming through, especially in industry, is the focus on people needing to develop a very high level of self-awareness because that essentially, you know, knowing, knowing who you are doesn't necessarily define every action you're going to take, but it does give you some context into which direction to either move in or the steps you can take to to mitigate those risks that we're all exposed to. Yeah, and you know, being self-aware, you can only manage what you know. You mm. can only manage what you are aware of. It is extremely important self-awareness. You have that absolutely. And very nice that it's kind of coming away from almost a, a spiritual kind of self-awareness journey that most people equate it with into very practical this is how important it is to actually know who I am how I react and how I can change most importantly or how I can adapt in that tell me so we know stress has an effect on resilience but stress can also be extremely positive a lot of people we all need a certain level of stress to function what are those kind of triggers or behaviors that we should be aware of that starts alerting us to the fact that perhaps the stress has moved it's too much and it's now actually starting to tax our resilience and we're not going to cope as well as we probably would have in the past or whatever how do we know when that stress is no longer serving us but is starting to work to our detriment over time we know that just like you mentioned now that too much stress can lead to changes in your emotions and behaviors as of course as well as how you feel physically and in the long term it can increase your risk of health problems and anxiety and depression and heart disease and skin conditions and digestive problems and continuous long-term stress has a negative impact on our coping abilities and resources and the more stresses an individual is exposed to or the amount of time to which they are exposed to, the bigger the impact on their resilience. It can decrease their resilience. When you realize via self-awareness, when you realize that your emotions, your thinking, maybe the outcome is poor performance, whether it's in terms of interpersonal relationships or in the work, but that has been impacted by negative emotions, by negative health factors. When you realize or when you are becoming aware of that, then it, obviously it means that it has gone too far. So it's important to build your resilience to pressure and stress by means of things like physical exercise and eating a balanced diet and make sure that you get enough or get plenty of sleep. Practice things like assertiveness and learning to say no to tasks that you can't handle or ask for help. Listen to your body and listen to what other people are saying to realize that stress has had too much of an impact on your effective functioning. 
Yeah. And I think most importantly, what we need to realize, and especially in this time that we're living in, is that when you do realize that it is having a more negative impact on you, that there are places that you can go to for help. The opposite side of that coin, though, at the moment, is that there are just so many courses and programs available to assist people to build resilience. And while that's very positive in one aspect, how do we discern? How do we know which is a good program to build resilience versus one that's kind of not going to hit that mark quite correctly? Because there's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on here when we talk about building resilience. So from a psychologist's perspective, what does it actually take to build resilience? Courses of or courses should be built on a specific conceptualization or a specific definition of the construct that you would like to develop. So you need to have a very good understanding of what is it that you want to develop or that you want to address. What's your definition of uh, resilience? All these questions that you ask me now, what's the factors that actually influence it? What's the impact of resilience on the work environment? So you have to have a very good theoretical framework of what it is, whether it's now resilience that you want to develop or whether it's emotional intelligence. So it really starts there. And then you have to, in, in order to get to that point, I think it's really important to do a lot of research and see what is out there and what has worked and what hasn't worked. And of course, try to add a different element to the training program. So when we think in terms of developing resilience, it's important to look at as a framework where we say it's it's multidimensional just looking at it's not only focusing on the individual but it's focusing on the individual it's focusing on the indi individual strengths it's focusing on the individual development areas but also then focusing on the interpersonal elements that's important in terms of building resilience and how do you need to set up an environment or an organization to build resilience. For me, it's really looking at the big picture and not just say, I'm going to create a resilient person or help develop a resilient person and they need to go back to an environment that is really not enhancing resilience at all. So it's looking at all the elements that impact resilience. And then also, it's not a, a once-off thing. So it's a continuous process. If I were looking for a program to develop resilience, I would look at something that as a, a sort of a longer term over a couple of weeks or a continuous drip feed kind of approach as well, just to strengthen the learning and to also yeah, keep the learning going. Absolutely. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. JVR Academy has put together a fantastic toolkits on building resilience and anybody is welcome to download it. It is available on the talenttalks.net website. But there's also a workshop that the JVR Academy is currently running on this program. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about that? The focus for us is sort of a fitness for life, being resilient, being fit for life, being able to cope with the challenges and the challenges that you are faced with. So on an individual level, we focus a lot on cognitive or mental processes like thought awareness and people's outlook on life and how to maintain perspective and being flexible and solving problems. The cognitive domain is, I actually think we call it bold cognitive muscle. And then we have a bit of focus on the emotional domain, things like self-confidence, again, self-awareness, 
self-regulation and independence. We also build social muscle. Like I said, it's very important at, as part of the bigger conceptualization of what the factors that impact resilience. So looking at the interpersonal and the social muscle that we have to build. And then, of course, core is always the, the physical element of resilience. So a learning to relax and cornerstones, exercise, sleep and diet. And then we also include spirit, spiritual muscle and that it could relate to religion, but it for some people, but that's not our focus. So it's it's focusing on values, on things like hope, on meaningfulness and mindfulness. So we package that over a series of a, a couple of weeks. And then in between these weeks, we also supplement that with I almost want to say now vitamins, <laughs> vitamins <laughs> of drip feeds and small e-learning nuggets that we give, give to delegates just to keep the learning going and to also learn from one another. Fantastic, Kona. Thank you. So we will include those details that if anybody is interested in looking at this, of course, you can go to the tips and tools for that downloadable instructional infographic on how to build resilience, which is just packed with great nuggets of, of information and then of course just to contact JBR Academy to find out which of these workshops would be right for them because I know there are a, a few on your website so we'll make sure that that is accessible but I have really enjoyed my my time recording with you today thank you so much thank you Karen I appreciate it